first of all, it's great to see everybody. Great to be back here after our uh, COVID experiences and as uh, uh, absolutely uh, uh, impact that uh, it made in all of our lives and our ability to meet and see each other face to face. Uh, this feels like uh, a homecoming of sorts. Uh, but um, we're, uh, I've got Mike here uh, from his perspective. Uh, he's been in uh, all the meetings. Uh, you know where he's been relative to the combine. Uh, and, of course, Stephen has been in all the meetings, and that's what we're doing. We're uh, getting ready for Thursday and excited about it and excited about uh, being with you guys and, and working through the next few days and building our uh, – adding to the Dallas Cowboys team. So, uh, any questions? Fire away. Uh, just Jerry and, and Mike, before we before we focus on the draft, since we haven't had a chance to ask you about this, can you just can you comment on, on Calvin Joseph and his involvement in this murder case, and any any action you may or may not take with Calvin will be strictly dependent on anything that the uh, any charges that are filed against him, or would you consider doing something? aside from any charges that may come. I get all the information directly. I hear directly from our counsel, our cowboy counsel, would hear directly from anything from the league. Uh, it's, uh, as you know, it's under uh, investigation. Uh, I don't know any more than what I've seen you write or seen written. Uh, and uh, it's uh, uh, certainly uh, pending. Uh, but uh, I have no information in any way that affects his status uh, during this time of the year. Uh, we're in our uh, early season workout time, and uh, he's um, uh, very uh, uh, active and involved in uh, uh, getting ready for the coming season. And uh, the, uh, uh, anything that would alter that are in the hands of uh, uh, any decision-making that would regard the authorities uh, or the league, of which uh, I've gotten no information on that, period. Just nothing. Nothing that I can comment on, and I certainly don't have any opinion. I don't know any of the details. Coach, have you had any interaction with Kelvin regarding the situation? With him like. Uh, my my conversations with Kelvin was more about the focus of you know what we're doing here in the off season and uh, he's been here uh, throughout the month of March and and uh, has been a full participant here the first couple of weeks. Does that situation affect draft preparation and what you may or may not have thought about the need of cornerbacks? No. Just because I said so. <laughs> you, did you ask me? How are these guys? Okay. In mind, just last thing on that, would, would you consider any sort of action outside of what the um, what the authorities would do, just based on the situation at all, or is it? I, I think just as Jerry's already uh, stated, we we we're just watching the process, and and that's all we that's all we really have to comment on right now. Jerry, you talked uh, last week about the appetite for possibly trading up. Were you talking about that specifically in the first round or the second? Uh, generally. Uh, and uh, uh, that is purely a product. If uh, the phone's not ringing, that's me calling. 
And so the bottom line is, uh, if you uh, don't know what might be coming, it is always the case uh, that it's got to be coming towards you as opposed to you going to get it to put it in its right context when I said we might consider trading up. Uh, it would be madness to not consider anything as we mentally prepare for the draft. And tradings have, can be a big part of things. We've had busy times in drafts and slower times in drafts. But uh, I think the question was that I answered at the time, which I'm not being defensive at all, is uh, uh, would you consider it? Specifically with that, it's more of an answer. I would not not consider anything as we're sitting here getting ready for the draft. Stephen, when you look at your guys' board, what could potentially be there at 24? Just how do you feel about the options that could potentially be there? Oh, I think we're going to have some great opportunities. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's impossible to uh, project, but uh, I will say this about the draft. I think it's very uh, middle uh, of the draft heavy, you know, that third through the fifth round. Um, you know, first and second a little more thin than we're used to, uh, but I still think we're going to have a great opportunity uh, to really improve our football team, uh, whether it's at the 24th pick, if we decide to make a move to go up, then, uh, you know, there's some players that, uh, you know, would fit that category uh, that you might be intrigued by. And, uh, you know, then there's always the, the option that if four or five guys are sitting there that you really think a lot of, then it's not impossible, you know, we might move down a little bit. But in general, uh, I think we're going to have a great opportunity to improve our football team in a big way throughout the draft. As you know, we have nine picks, and uh, I just think it's a, a great opportunity for us to get better. Do you prepare for a lot more scenarios when you're sitting at 24 versus, say, where you are last year just because? You have to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just uh, you got all these teams in front of you, and you're not sure what they're going to do and how they have these players evaluated. I think uh, – you know, as you've seen, uh, I think in, uh, you know, people reporting and they have obviously, uh, I'm, I'm sure, great people they talk to and all the other organizations, it's a mixed bag in terms of who might do what and who might take what. So uh, you really do have to go through a lot of options. We've already started that extensively uh, with Jerry and Mike, Will and myself. And uh, I, I think you do have to get prepared like that. And then certainly you have to see what you're going to be giving up, you know, what and that takes you really deep when you go, you know, 24 picks into the second round, uh, you know, in terms of what you might be giving up to move that pick up. So uh, there is a lot of uh, work, a lot of work uh, left to be done. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think the players are there uh, that can really improve our team. So many teams in the league right now seem to kind of change their approach to go more all in. The big trades we see for the wide receivers, who the, the Rams specifically, like get rid of their early draft picks. Does that does that change your philosophy, your guys' philosophy, and how you build your team at all when other so many other teams seem to be kind of shifting to a more aggressive all in approach? Right? You know, I think everybody's situation is different. And I, we have to look at our situation in terms of uh, our players and where we have our resources committed. Um, I think there's always going to be opportunities out there that you have a chance maybe to stretch and really improve your team if you think it's the right piece. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, as you know, we believe strongly uh, that you build through the draft, it's your foundation, but then when you have an opportunity, you know, that sticks out and, and you can improve your team, then you certainly look at it. But, uh, uh, you know, everybody's going to continue to look at different ways to go about it. 
obviously, the Rams winning the Super Bowl had a different approach in terms of how you know they valued their picks versus uh, uh, the players they brought in there. And I, you know, I don't think it's uh, you know one right way to do this. Uh, I think there's a lot of ways to go about it, and uh, certainly we'll continue you know, to massage things internally and we'll make decisions. You know, one of the things uh, I, I think is unique about our organization, you know, having Jerry as the owner uh, and the general manager, uh, that we can make quick decisions and uh, can make hard decisions quickly. And uh, so I, I think that gives us an advantage in terms of if we decide to do something, you know, that's on the aggressive, real aggressive side, then we can do it. Could you, each of you address how you see the strengths of positional strengths of this draft aligning with your perceived needs? Well, I think like anything, you just you trust the process. You know, we're going through the process of ranking the board horizontally and, and, and vertically, and and you know, and, and from that, uh, you you know, you have you know, our view of our our needs may be different than yours, uh, but. I think at the end of the day, uh, I know from my perspective, the quality and the depth of the class is important to to stack it against these with these first two classes. So, um, you know, this is this is an opportunity for for us to obviously improve um, with the, these new guys coming in here. But to, to, to get in here and, and talk about specific positions, I mean, obviously, if Jerry wants to get into that's fine. I, I I just think the quality of the class and how they fit into our locker room is is really the overall view from my perspective. Jerry, I know you're being a little tongue-in-cheek there when you said the phones aren't ringing, but you're calling. Have you been making any calls this week? You haven't heard the same country song I've had. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, when that phone's not ringing, that's me calling. It's a song. All right. But seriously, uh, uh, we always chum. Always. And uh, uh, you do that. I, I do it away from the draft. You're always talking about possibilities or things. Uh, there's nothing uh, uh, dangerous about thinking crazy things. Uh, what's dangerous is obviously when you get out of making a decision. So without getting philosophical, uh, we should think out of the box. We should be contrarians. That doesn't mean that that has to be uh, that on that particular decision, but it's a part of thinking unconventionally. And so uh, uh, you got to see which way it's uh, which way the the thing is uh, uh, going. Uh, we had no idea Michael Parsons would be there last year when we started that draft. We all had our eye on corners. And uh, the bad thing would have been to have not been uh, flexible and to have not been willing to uh, uh, do something that you really hadn't gone to bed the night before thinking you'd hoped it would go that way. So, again, uh, I think flexibility, we have it here. The way to be ready for it is to literally be prepared. And if you had been a fly on the wall this morning listening to our conversations, you would have heard, heard some pretty, uh, uh, pretty interesting scenarios about what if this, what if this happened. And it's a product of having everybody on the same page regarding our weaknesses and our strengths on our team. Or philosophically, if we had our, a wish, how we would like to go defensively and what that player might do for us to complement what a Parsons or a Lawrence might do.
So again, I know that this always comes down to pretty subjective type explanation, but it is subjective, and uh, the very players themselves are subjective. And um, we have to bet and project a lot of things that don't necessarily fall right as they get on beyond here into their careers. So just understanding that only God knows really most of the time about some of the critical parts of the decision, I think, is important. You can milk toast things to death, and you can be right right down the middle. If you're perfect, the NFL is designed to win half your games and lose half your games. It's a 500 league. And so you have to get out of bounds or you have to get close to the boundaries from time to time to sway that positively at all, in my view. So we will, uh, as you uh, well know if you think about it, we will uh, be unconventional if we think it will help our team. We don't go in there just the idea of going the other way at all. So I would emphasize the best way to prepare for that is to keep communicating. We have constant communicating. Uh, I have and we have communicated since the day we walked through the door with the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, I've, I've never not included uh, the coach. Mike came from an organization, and he can speak for himself, that didn't include the coach as much in their, these processes of personnel. And uh, they had a lot of success uh, in that manner. We, we do. We want that process in there. And so if you were sitting in that room, you would hear uh, some of the key people, the scouts, and you would think they were going to make the pick. And we encourage that. And we argue with that. And we talk about that. And that's important not only to hear it, but that's important to get that input. They might have some information that you should consider. So our process is an inclusive one. We've said it. There's a lot of talk in this business about who makes the call, who actually makes the call, okay? Uh, taco was Steven's call. <laughs> Parson, Parson, Parson is my call. I don't, that's not that funny to me. <laughs> how many, uh, I don't know if you've been asking, excuse me if you haven't, how many first round picks were in this draft? Do we have on our board? Yeah. We're going to be somewhere between, what, 14 and 16, somewhere in there. Is that a normal number? Say so it's lower than normal. Stephen, this is kind of related to that. Is it always best available over knee, or does that dynamic change a little bit later in the first round versus like when you were at 17 a couple of years ago or 10? I think if the grades are in there very similar, then you pick what your need is. I think if there's a big disparity, you don't go jump a half a round down to scratch an itch, if you will. I mean, I think if they're in there close and the grades are really close, then, you know, a couple points here or there, then, you know, I think you certainly would take a look at, you know, your need over your uh, – over the best grade, just pure best grade. Uh, with, with only 14 to 16 first round picks, does that, on your board at 24, does that open itself up to more of a move down than a move up? Or how do you look at that? 
I think it just depends. Not everybody's going to have the same number, the the same guys in their picks, and they may have more, they may have less first round picks. I mean, that's the the art of competition right here, and everybody's trying to put their board up the way they see it. We put our board up the way we see it, and that might have you looking at moving up even more so than moving down. If uh, one of your guys you have in the first round are sitting there and you think, hey, that may be worth it to go get one. Uh, the flip side of that, if you're if they're gone and you're looking at four or five guys you value similarly at 24 there, then you might, uh, uh, you know, you might think about moving down. Or if there's just one left and you're up and it happened to go your way, then you pick away. If you're saying you had like you, you fewer first round grades, but, but Mike and Steve, didn't both of you say that overall you have more players graded with draft grades than you normally do? Absolutely. I think, you know, with the super seniors, uh, you know, where they, they got a red shirt year and a COVID year. And I mean, we're looking at some players that have been in college and playing football for six years. And so uh, you do see that. Uh, I, I will say, I, th I do think the draft's more heavily weighted you know, toward the middle of the draft than it is, uh, you know, toward the top. But uh, I do think there's more players uh, that have draftable grades than we've ever had. When you have that many players with draftable grades, how does that change the approach to the undrafted signing period after the on Saturday night? And then especially if we keep in mind that you guys don't have a seventh round pick, like what's that going to, what would that process be like? I think it remains to be seen. I mean, who's who's left and where we have them. And, you know, sometimes we have no one left on our board. I mean, that's happened rarely, but, you know, you have just a couple. And then sometimes you've had a lot more. We'll just have to see how this pans out and, you know, how the rest of the league thinks of the players that we have on our board versus uh, what's been taken uh, through the draft. Mike, why do you think it's important to be involved in the draft process, and what are the ways that your draft process involvement has been different this year than previously in your career? Um, I, I would say, uh, you know, number one, I think anytime you know the personnel and coaching can be together, you know, you know whether it's training camp and having them part of your meetings, uh, you know, because you know we all want the same thing. You know, it's a, it's about getting the you know, the best players possible and, and, and fit is, is a big part of a lot of our conversations. We talked a lot today about fit with the coordinators in there. So, um, so I, I think it's, it's like anything. I, it, it makes us stronger as a group. The decision-making process is tighter. Uh, this is year three. So, I mean, year one, we were, you know, uh, we were virtual. Last year was, was more realistic. And this is really the first, you know, full year that we've had as a staff, you know, our, our scouts are in in house, and so this has been a this this has clearly been the best process of my time here because uh, the interaction, whether it's on the road, you know, go, going get, getting out and seeing seeing these players at their pro days, and also interacting with your scouts on the road, so just so much more collaboration interaction, and I think with that, it, it definitely improves your decision making process. Steve, when you look at what you guys have done and not done in free agency in the offensive line, is do you look at that as a must early on to find guys that come in as day one starters? What are your thoughts on Zion Johnson and Kenyon Green? Yeah, I'm not going to, we won't get into evaluating any of the players in here. Uh, but I will say this I mean, we're, free agency's not over. I mean, there's different waves of it. And, uh, you know, you still can, uh, you know, there's still going to be opportunities to improve different areas of our team other than the draft or college free agency. So, uh, you know, I think that's still. Uh, can happen and probably will happen. 
uh, I wouldn't say we have any muss uh, left in, in terms of, you know, having to take a particular position at some point. Obviously, we want, you know, you'd like to look up nine picks later and hope that you, you know, you really helped yourself across the board in terms of uh, not only, uh, you know, improving yourself for frontline players, but also depth and, uh, you know, things of that nature. So uh, I, I don't think we have any muss going into the draft. Is there a big difference between your first and second round grades on offensive linemen this year? In other words, you guys have done really, really well in the past picking offensive linemen in the first round, mm -hmm. you know, going back to Frederick, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin. Is there a big drop off between your first round grades offensive linemen and second round? No, I would say we probably got more top of the second round players maybe than we've ever had. It just didn't quite make the cut of being first round players. And then we have some players that are bottom of the first of so the grades. You know, the grade difference very small. Jerry, when you lose a guy like Randy, when you anticipated he might come back, how does a personnel loss like that affect your view of that position going into the uh, Everything uh, has an offsetting quid pro quo. Everything. Uh, as you know, I uh, think a lot of uh, Randy and how he has uh, evolved and where he is in his career. Uh, but uh, he evolved so well that he got beyond our where I wanted to go uh, uh, with the guarantees that were going to be involved to have Randy here, and I could have done it were unacceptable to us. I'd rather have the two, uh, Armstrong and our other one. I'd rather have those two than the one. And that's what we got. So this this has very uh, big logic to it. I'll just allude to the very same thing. Had you rather have two players over in the second round or one over in the first? That's what it costs you to get up to the first, is to trade that second round pick to get up there. Most cases, when we go down that board, we'd rather have the two just as far as looking at a rule that you might go by. And so to be specific back to Randy, uh, Randy, to his credit and their credit, uh, Denver wanted him more than we did. And that's not a hard adjustment because we got extra players for that. And we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have had the players that we got had we had we uh, signed Randy. Period. And I'd rather have the two than the one. Um, availability was a big item here. Being available always has been. Always has been. And you can reach to a point where if you've got a big question mark on availability, forget ability. If you've got a big question mark on availability, do you want to strap on millions and millions of dollars to your salary cap with a, that big a question mark at availability? It got too high for the benefit of the team. And I think nobody thought, thinks any more of Randy's ability or of how he has evolved. And still uh, uh, think he's one of the uh, – uh, but frankly, individually, like him about as well as anybody I've ever been around as far as a player of the Cowboys. Just didn't work that way. It wasn't good for us to do that. Stephen, when the 
the last eight years, uh, there's been a pretty big shift on how you guys pick power five guys compared to the previous eight. It's like 75% of your picks versus 56% of your picks. What's is that? Has there been a shift in how you guys break it down and, and leaning more power five schools than you have in the past? And what does a smaller school guy have to do to earn that consideration? Well, I just think at the end of the day, it's all all goes with the evaluation process. Hopefully, we get better every year. I mean, he's made it real clear philosophically in our organization: you're either getting worse or you're getting better. There's no there's no flat line here, and so. We continue to look for ways to improve as to how we evaluate talent in terms of uh, uh, whether it's in college, whether it's in pro, whether it's our interactions, as Mike mentioned, which I think we do extremely well of having our coaches interact uh, with our, our, our personnel people in terms of what's the vision uh, for the scheme we want to run and how those players fit and where they're going to fit. and. Uh, you know, so that you you see when hey we draft a guy, the coach uh, sees sees that guy the same way the scout does, and that's why I've had think we've had so so much success with players being able to uh, to come in and play right away. So uh, you know, at the end of the day, there is obviously as we we see with the Power Five, uh, you know, there's <laughs> they're the Power Five for a reason. I mean, they've got some really good football players, but at the same time, there are good players. Uh, that aren't in the power five, if you find the right guys that can step in here and play right away. But I don't think it's been a conscientious effort to just say, hey, we're going to get away from smaller schools and get into power five only, and that's where we're going to pick from. It's more, I think, just our evaluation uh, process evolving into where, uh, you know, that's where we've, you know, historically or not historically, where we've ended up over the past, uh, you know, four, five, six, seven years, whatever time frame that is. Mike, what, what do you see when you've looked at this, the, the deepest positions in this draft, and uh, just, just your overall thoughts on, on some of those positions and how it's stacking up? Well, I think, you know, traditionally, you know, the wide receiver group is, is, has been very deep, and that's that looks to hold true again this year. So, um, and, you know, and I think as you go up and down the board, and I just want to echo what Stephen's already addressed, is, you know, this is going to be a very deep draft, particularly in the middle rounds. So. Um, and, and, and with that, as far as the, the ability to get both offense and defensive players, I think we sit very well for that opportunity. The pandemic forced the organization and all the organizations to adopt certain principles, you know, virtual and sort. Um, now that things have loosened up a bit in that regard, have you found that you've kept some of those pandemic-specific principles to make your draft process more efficient? And if so, can you kind of detail how you guys are handling pre-draft differently today than maybe 2019. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know virtual is is definitely a, a component of not only the draft process but our everyday operation. So um, just you go as far as the off-season program this year. Um, you know we've had 100% participation, but you know we, we we do have individuals that have had things that are already scheduled ahead of time that even though they were unable to be here, they were in the meetings virtually. So that that was obviously something that was not in place in prior years. Um, no different than the, than the draft process. You know, there, there's been times where um, we may need a little more information on, on, a, on a prospect and bang, we were able to get 
to get the individual on a Zoom call that night. So, um, and I think so, you know, the things that came out of the pandemic are, are definitely uh, the virtual component is uh, still in place, you know, obviously not to the level that it was two years ago. And, and I think it's, a, it's an asset in our evaluation process. Jerry, you uh, spoke to the two players instead of one, you know, regarding Randy Gregory and Armstrong and all of that. You guys had one of the most talented rosters in the NFL last season, but you've lost some this offseason to this point. How, how confident are you that after this draft process is done, after remaining free agency, that this Cowboys roster can be as talented or as good as it was a season ago? Well, I've, uh, I thought that we were as talented going into the playoffs last year as any time uh, uh, in the top handful of teams that I've been involved in. So it's not surprising at all for us to have a uh, uh, catch-up or have a, uh, a bar of last year as where you would like to be. Uh, and so uh, with that in mind, what ends up happening is that things that uh, 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 first-year players, second-year players evolve, and you can't expect those to get better. If we have those, along with what we have done with the continuity of coming off of the, uh, the COVID year last year and coming into the uh, basic uh, uh, I'm going to say fundamentals, solidness of our offseason, the fundamentals of this draft process, uh, and the fundamentals of taking what we started last year defensively. I think we can very easily be where we were last year talent-wise uh, or uh, able to play at that kind of talent level. I believe that's going to be the case. Now, I'm not factoring in finding this year's Parsons. I'm not factoring that in, that last year that helped that situation along without being tried. So that in short, uh, I feel very strongly that we can have a team that can give us every bit the promise to evolve and get us back where we were in the playoffs last year with the uh, uh, health level, the availability level, as well as the talent level that we had last year. And I can go down through and look at specifics just within. Dak should be in better shape than he was this time, but when he went into the playoffs, by virtue of having this offseason, and I'm going to assume we're not going to get a, another calf injury in the fifth game or sixth game. I'm going to assume we're not going to get a shoulder injury in training camp. But I think we could have a, a, a healthier Dak as you go into. That alone could put us in better shape for the playoffs. So anyway, all of those are what ifs, I understand. But you got to think about them and you got to plan on them uh, one way or the other, and that's what we're doing. So to answer your question, I don't, I'm not willing to concede at all that by the time we get to the playoffs uh, this coming year that we won't want it be ever bit the team that we had going in the playoffs last year. Stephen, when you talk about uh, the top of the second round being as heavy as you can remember, can you talk about when you're in kind of that nebulous area late in the first round, deciding if you're going to move back or so, the uh, club having the fifth-year option on the first-round pick, is that a factor? I think it is. Uh, you know, I, I think it is especially because you're what you want to do is sign players to that second contract, and when you have a fifth-year option, that gives you – you know, that helps you with your negotiation versus, uh, you know, you're going to be dealing with somebody who's going to be totally free. Example, Dak Prescott is the perfect one. 
But uh, certainly that would come into play. I know I've heard people say it time and time again on quarterbacks. If you're going to pick a quarterback, you know, top of the second, bottom of the first, you'd like to have that extra year. So, you know, those things are important. That, that certainly plays into it. It's a great observation and uh, certainly uh, something that the teams do look at and we look at uh, from a salary cap standpoint. All that gets, you know, mixed in in terms of, uh, you know, when you're putting the full body of work into a decision, then uh, that's certainly part of it. Stephen, what's that process like the dress rehearsals for these last couple of days, these weeks leading up to it inside the, the war room, the practices and all of that? Do you guys go through all these? You mentioned the scenarios and all of that. Is that, is that an enjoyable experience? Is it tense? What's that like these last couple of days leading up to the final thing I get the most out of is more the, you know, the straight strategy more so than, you know, the mock drafts, which I think are, are useful. Uh, but I think the bigger thing are to really play through it in our minds, uh, you know, what's realistically going to be there uh, versus what may or may not be there. Those are all things that are interesting. And then project down to what you might be passing in the second or what you might be passing with our, our, our pick in the third. I think all those things are, are, are important. But I do think the mock drafts play a role, and uh, we do that extensively as well. But uh, uh, I think the most important thing is just to get your hands around, you know, what caliber of player you're going to be looking at, uh, what you'd be looking at, say, in the bottom of the second and potentially giving up along with your first pick uh, versus, uh, you know, having two players versus one. I think it's well said. Would you anticipate with, with what you've seen in the free agent market with wide receiver salaries that that could push some wide receivers up the board, if you will, and, and how do those things factor into uh, a draft day with those trends? Well, I think any of this, uh, you know, as you look at free agency, it certainly points to all the more how important drafting well is. Uh, you know, if you can avoid, you know, you, you just can't, Pay even if you have success, uh, which we feel like we've had, you know, our share of success, if not more so, uh, in terms of drafting successfully. You still can't give them all, every one of them, that second contract. So consequently, you have to make some, some tougher decisions. I mean, that obviously came down the pipe with us, with, you know, a successful pick in Gallup versus, you know, ultimately having to make a decision: Are you going to be able to have, you know, Amari and Gallup? And uh, so you have to make that call. And uh, I think all those things play into, uh, you know, play into it in terms of, you know, drafting successfully versus, uh, you know, having to pay for it from a resource standpoint. Uh, you know, the draft's so important there in terms of uh, making your cap work overall. How's Gallup's status? Any, any updates on him? Does it still look like he's trending week one? In other words, does that affect how you draft or free agency just preparing for a possible contingency that he wouldn't be available week one? Um, Michael's doing very well in his rehab. I mean, he's, he's here every day. He's been, he's been here throughout uh, the prehab, the surgery, and now the rehab. So, uh, But I, I, you know, I think once we get to training camp, we'll have a tighter view on exactly when he'll be available. Jerry, you joked earlier about who makes which decisions in the uh, – in the draft room. Um, how has your role changed uh, in terms of player evaluation and, and draft decisions, if at all, during recent years? You know, uh, uh, I've got uh, uh, a good read in terms of uh, the coach's involvement. Uh, we talked about that earlier. 
I have always thought that the men coaching the players uh, should have an investment in the decision of uh, being made of putting the players out there. I guess I get that from my college days, if anything. So I've always thought that was the politically way to do it. I have seen people get ideas about players in the draft process as coaches and absolutely have a bias with them as they get on into coaching them. And so I've seen that. And they have to work through that bias to get that done. Well, it's better to have a buy-in. There's a lot of me that would like to take a player and hand it over when we draft him and have Mike sign it, have Steven sign it, have Will sign it, and then go down through the coaching staff and have everybody on there sign it. This is the guy we picked. And uh, so that when somebody comes in and, and for whatever the reason he uh, needs more reps or he needs, needs this or he's got an issue about uh, how he's coached on the field. Bill Parcells used to joke about, he said, I don't want the scouts out there watching practice and talking about how I ought to have such and such playing more than such and such. He did that tongue in cheek. The point is, there really is buy-in here. And there's buy-in with how players are selected, and there's buy-in with after they're selected, how they evolve and how they're, they're coached. I believe in that. So to answer your question, I've always been into the buying into. Uh, I used to have a sign on my desk, if you're willing to give others the credit, you can conquer the world. And that was the sign that I had all the way up and through the Dallas Cowboys. I, didn't, I hadn't been in this world of having uh, a need to, well, who's making that call or who's making that call or who's making that call. Around here, if it has a dollar sign associated with it in any way, I make the final call. I'm responsible for the money coming in and going out ultimately. And so I make that call. I have been since the day I walked through this door. And so I intend to make the call and get to where I can assess the information that's coming to me so that we can make the call. That has not changed. That hasn't changed. Now, what has happened is that Stephen's been doing this now for 33 years. And he walked in here with a chemical engineering degree. He ought to be smart enough to pick it up somewhere along the way. <laughs> and, uh, but seriously, seriously, he has been around here and he's been around in everything we've done. If you can't have confidence in that, you need to go home uh, because he's seen it come and go and seen all the wrong decisions and all the right decisions as it goes there. So it's a luxury on my part to have that kind of talent around here. I've got it, uh, the Cowboys have it in several places around here of real seasoned, but relatively speaking, young people to get in here and help make uh, uh, all contribute to making this decision. So it is wrong to basically look at a decision and say that Jerry made the decision to draft Michael Parsons. I did not do it. I did it, actually physically did it, but I had tremendous input from uh, what people that I have a lot of respect for that have spent a lot of time getting ready to help make that, uh, make that decision. Will puts, the board uh, Will puts the board together. He didn't make the call. He puts the board together. If you watched how we get up on that board and who gets in the third hole, who gets in the fourth slot or the fifth slot, you would see that there's 15 people made that decision about how he gets in the 15th slot. That's not a one-person decision about who goes up there. And then it's damn sure 
not just a one-person decision when you're up there on the draft board and you pick that player off of that spot on the board. There can be all kinds of players still up on that board, but that's not a one-person decision. So to answer your question, it's being made exactly the same way that was always being made. Now then, I really do and should in my spot make other people believe they're making the decision. I should do that. I should work very hard to make other people believe it's their decision. Because if they think it's their decision, they will work their ass off to try to make sure it's a good one. And they will take ownership in the decision and they'll make it go. So I spend a lot of my time around making people uh, be not only helping make the decision, but believing they made the decision. That gets accountability. That hasn't changed. None of this has changed uh, at all. Uh, uh, there's probably less risk taking in me uh, today uh, than it probably was when I look back 30 something years ago from the taking of just outright taking risks. But uh, when we got here, I frankly was the only one in the room that had ever taken a risk, certainly financially when I first got involved. And so I knew how to take risks, knew how to judge the consequences if you mess up on a risk. And I was experiencing that. That's how I owned the Cowboys. That's how I got them. So I could do that. So I was the risk taker, going and coming. Uh, today, after these years, we've got several people in this room that have taken some risks. Uh, this one's sitting right next to me, and he's eaten some of them. And he's been to the top and some others when he goes. So he knows the pain that goes with it. So same way, Mike, just exactly the same way. And I get mused when I see people write uh, that, well, this is not the same Jerry, or this is this, this is that, this is that. They, they are uh, just so off base, it's unbelievable. Why are you taking less risk? Why am I taking less risk? I said I believe that I could be taking less risk because, uh, frankly, I, I feel that uh, the decisions uh, uh, that Michael Parson was not a risky uh, decision relative to the situation. And so, um, so I seem to be uh, more in keeping with uh, uh, the more logical way to uh, make, the, make the decision. We still make some uh, pretty risky decisions, though, and uh, uh, very capable of making them, too. We made uh, – uh, that was um, – uh, when we take guys in the second round that we're redshirting, those are risky decisions. Those are decisions putting your you, – that player's contribution off a little bit, usually, when it's a decision like Smith or a decision really uh, uh, like several that we made around here. So uh, uh, that, that type of thing, a decision on off-the-field issues, I'm probably a little more conservative than I was 15 years ago about uh, availability, probably a little more conservative. Uh, maybe a little more conservative about players on the come a little bit. Got some developing to do. Need to get some strength uh, because I feel like we need to use them now more than we did 15 years ago or more than 10 years ago. It's a now thing, and it has everything to do because we need those players, for instance, to play immediately because most of the money is going to the top 10 or 11 that are already here. 
And so those guys with their uh, rookie salaries need to help us more immediately than they have in the past. Since you said you got more conservative with guys with off-the-field issues, what made you comfortable about Kelvin Joseph despite his red flags last year? Well, I think that you've gone into, let's be real clear, I haven't said I was comfortable or uncomfortable. I'm not going to you, though, he had red flags coming into the draft. There were people that questioned about issues. Yeah. And you were comfortable enough to take it. I, I, I uh, uh, felt that we had him about where we should have him relative to his skill level. We thought he was a number, uh, one of the top ones, talent-wise. Uh, he got docked last year. And so I thought we had him uh, gauged just right. We had the draft board right on him. Finish up with Jory. Y'all talked a lot during the season about how important it is to have the same five offensive linemen starting and how much multiple games together can improve that continuity. In light of that, how do you value position flex and versatility for an offensive lineman relative to other strengths? I mean, p position flex is important, obviously, especially now you've got 17-game season. Uh, but yeah, the goal, I mean, the statistics speak for themselves. I mean, if you look at the success of an NFL football team that has consecutive starts by their linemen, they correlate. Uh, so that, and that's, that's gone on as far back as I can remember. But I mean, but you can't control the injuries and, and the things that happen. So um, I think just like anything, you know, depth is important. Um, but how you train players, you know, in this class will be important because you got young players coming in. We have some older players. so. These are the things we talk about: is how many reps is this young man going to get when he gets here? How you know how is he going to fit it? What position flex does it does it give? So, uh, to answer your question, yes, it's very important. But I mean, the goal is to have the first five, you know, one five play all the time because that's you know that's the most cohesive group, um, you know, for your offense, and you know it dictates a lot of things that go on during the course of a game, let alone a season, especially in the playoff football. So, uh, but position position flexes. Is something that's held, you know, with a lot of value is looked upon as far as how they're graded, how they fit. Thank you. Thank you.